You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 134, is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC, and the co-host, Will Miles from ReadingReaction.com. That's where you can find his articles and all the good stuff that he's been writing lately. And you can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Will, how you doing? Doing well, Dave. I mean, the construction is almost done here. So we are uh, got got things painted and uh, need to get a little bit of trim up. But uh, I know everybody is uh, – hopefully the silence of the lamb jokes end pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> I have to keep it up with that. And, uh, I meant to mention it last week, too, for people who are watching the YouTube version, uh, they're catching us live or they watch the uh, replay on YouTube uh, and can't see us. Like the you know, podcast version, you can't see us. But, yeah, you've, you've been able to see kind of a time lapse every week of, of Will's progression. Uh, of is the basement right yeah okay. I'm, I'm gonna have to put so i've been taking video every day of the uh, of the progress that's been made so i'm gonna have to like splice it together and put it on twitter or something <laughs> so people can see but uh i told somebody last week that we had the drywall up so we'd hidden all the bodies back behind the drywall <laughs> and uh you know so we're good we're good they'll be haunting the next people who move in here when we sell the house so oh, there you go there you go and will here's a serious question have you filled out your march madness bracket yet <laughs> I have been too busy to fill out my March Madness bracket, and yes, uh, I'm not alone. I haven't done mine either. And this is well, Tuesday. This is Tuesday night, so I have well, I also, mine out either. Well, I also have a problem because usually I just pick Florida and Virginia Tech by two schools, going <laughs> as far as they can. And every you know, a couple of years there with Noah and Horford, I was able to win a couple of pools. But yeah. but this year, Virginia Tech and Florida will play each other if they if they actually win their way through the tournament. So yeah, I'm going to pick the Gators over the Hokies anytime. Nobody should tell my grandmother that, <laughs> but I'll take the Gators over the Hokies anytime. And uh, yeah, I'll get that filled out before Thursday. There's some stuff going on at work, but uh, uh, nope, I haven't done that yet. Yeah, same here. Same here. I've kind of haven't done it yet. Uh, we'll see. I've been kind of busy as well, so uh, we'll kind of we'll kind of see what goes on there uh, with that and and the Gators. We don't talk much basketball here, but you know, inconsistent team, inconsistent team. So we'll kind of see uh, where the Gators end up uh, when they play late, late Thursday night. Um, before we dive in here, remember you can find all your Gators breakdown episodes on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Get all the uh, latest Gator articles from News for Jacks and, of course, the latest episodes of Gators Breakdown. 
Also, with the links to SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube, whichever way you prefer, you can watch Gators Breakdown. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. When you're on iTunes or Google Play, on Google Play, please rate and review the show. So, Dan Mullen starts his first spring football this week, Will, uh, and he had his uh, – spring press conference on, on Tuesday, and the message was pretty clear uh, from, from the new Gators head coach. Quote, learn how to play hard, end the quote. And he then went on to say, I know they're going to play hard because they don't have an option. So, Will, it certainly sounds like much of the same from when Mullen was hired. Talked about the relentless effort it was going to take in the weight room, and and now that focus shifts to the field Mullen believe it's not, uh, and he even kind of summarized it, uh, what he's looking for in spring, and he believes it's not really about a depth chart at this point, but determining how much playing time a player will earn when they go through spring practice. Yeah, how sad is it that that's really where it has to start, is that the guys are going to have to play hard. Like, you would (laughs) figure that for a major top 10 level program, that would sort of be the bare minimum for someone who's coming in is that that's going to be the requirement. So, um, you know, it's interesting that that's the requirement. I mean, I think a lot of times you think people are paying lip service to that, but, you know, Mullen has mentioned it enough that I think it really is true that, that guys aren't going to be given anything and that they're going to have to earn it. And, you know, we talked a little bit last week about ones on ones during the spring game and hoping to see that. And, you know, we'll see. Like I said, Mullen has spent a lot of time talking about relentless effort and competition, and that's great. If no one's going to earn a starting job, you're going to earn playing time. Well, that means no one can ever rest on their laurels for what they've actually done. It's it's uh, it's a business where certainly the fans are interested in what did you do for me last week, and it sounds like Mullen's going to be that way as well. Yep, uh, he was his. He was the same joyous, energetic self uh, in front of the media. Uh, So he did answer a lot of questions. We'll get to some of those questions uh, here uh, as we preview kind of kind of position by position. uh, If we, you know, if time allows, we'll get to uh, most positions and kind of how they uh, answer. We'll we'll have some questions ourselves and I'll I'll share with Will and we'll answer those. But uh, uh, we did get some answers of some questions uh, we were, uh, everybody was wondering about with the skaters team as they headed to spring practice. And of course, Will will start at the quarterback position. And last week, uh, if you, if you get your breakdown listeners missed it, we had a really deep uh, preview of Felipe Franks in Dan Mullen's offense. So we won't spend too much time on Felipe Franks, but we will spend a little bit of time on quarterback Emory Jones. Will, that was your latest article and your latest breakdown on readandreaction.com of breaking down some game film of Emory Jones and how he can fit in this Dan Mullen offense. So, as I mentioned, we won't spend too much more time on quarterback because we have really talked extensively about quarterback in, some, in these last couple episodes. Felipe Franks last week, now Emory Jones this week. What were some things that you liked from what you saw uh, in Emory Jones, and how do you think that translates to spring football, Will? Yeah, so I think on the positive side, the Heard County offense had a lot of rollouts, um, so, and he was really pretty accurate within those rollouts. So, um, you know, the, the throwing on the run, the the power of his arm, he really showed a strong arm when he was able to set his feet. He was really accurate when he was able to set his feet, and he was a- even accurate when he wasn't setting his feet on a lot of those designed rollouts. They didn't do a lot of drop back passing. They didn't do a lot of passing, period. It was a very run-heavy offense, and so it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment. I mean, Mullen has a run-heavy offense, too, but not like this. <laughs> this was <laughs> this was a lot of taking snaps under center and handing off to a running back behind him. Um, there, was, there was quite 
quite a bit of zone read as well, but I was surprised at how much eye formation they ran and just handed off to the running back, which really didn't take advantage of Emory Jones' skills, um, at least as a, as a running quarterback and having that threat always active. So it was a little bit hard to tell by looking at the high school film whether a lot of the limitations that you see in the film were based on the offense for Heard County or whether it was based on some things that maybe Emory Jones is limited on. There were a lot of single receiver reads or two receiver reads, especially, you know, you have those rollouts and it limits it to a half field read. There were times where um, he was very accurate, but there were also times where he made the wrong read when he was rolling out. There'd be a guy open in the flat and he'd throw it down the field, things like that. Um, he didn't set his feet very often. Um, there were times when he had an opportunity to set his feet and he didn't, he still threw it when he was on the run. Um, and he abandoned plays a lot after his first read and went to the run, even when the receiver was open. Like you could see the guy he was looking at, the receiver was open and he still opted to run the ball. And so I think the running dimension really adds something for Emory Jones, but he's not going to anybody expecting him to come out onto the field and put up baker mayfield numbers that's probably not a reasonable expectation a reasonable expectation is probably for him to put up felipe frank's last year type numbers maybe a little bit better but those are a lot of the same the passing game there were a lot of the same things that you see in frank's high school film and his first year of college last year you see similar things from emory jones i think the differentiator is he's definitely a better runner and he's going to be able to fit within mullen's offense and what he wants to do to run so um, if frank struggles or if frank's doesn't win the job in camp emory jones wins the job i think you're probably looking at similar output from the passing game for florida this year but the difference would be that you would have that running element what about decision making will and and you which you could break down from you know first of all it's very limited film of what we could get of Emory Jones and, and everything that's out there on, on the internet but you did mention how he might would take off even if they, even if he had a receiver open um or you know not wait for the play to develop but was he quick in his decision making and and taking off or you know Felipe Franks we would see he would wait too long and then ultimately also make the wrong decision of throwing you know, of not throwing the ball out of bounds and taking sacks did Emory Jones show a knack for being able to make that decision quickly when he wanted to take off um, I saw that he made the decision quickly whether he was going to throw or whether he was going to take off. What I did see is sometimes it seemed like he'd already made the decision to run before he allowed the play to develop. I think there were also times where he tried to fit the ball into spaces that he shouldn't have because he'd already determined he was going to make the throw. And then there were also some circumstances where he was dancing around back behind the line of scrimmage and he would throw back across his body into traffic. I saw it multiple times in the two full games that I watched. And then I even watched some of his highlight packages because I wanted to get a better feel for some of the things that he does really well. And there were a couple of plays in the highlight packages where he threw back across his body. Now, it happened to be that he was able to complete those passes, and it looked really impressive, but that's not something you're going to get away with in the SEC on any regular basis at all. Um, it's interesting that it means that he's keeping his eyes up while he's scrambling and he's finding that guy coming across the middle, but I don't know that you want him finding that guy coming across the middle. So um, I think it was a little bit of a mixed bag. I think he's not afraid to get hit. You could definitely see that. The offensive line at Heard County did not seem like the strength of the team. Um, I think that's a lot of the reason that they ran the rollouts that they did, that they ran a lot of the one-man routes, two-man routes, things like that. Um, but it's going to be a change. I mean, it's going to be a big change for him to come in and run a full field offense where you don't just have two reads where, you know, if, if and you got to read some things after the snap. And, and even if Mullen puts him in a situation where the read is relatively easy, um, it's, it's still going to be a challenge for him. 
But the benefit is, is if you have numbers up front on first and 10, well, now it's second and two because you just made an eight-yard run. <laughs> so, again, I think Gator fans, if Emory Jones is a starter, are going to have to take some of the good with the bad. He is not a polished pocket passer. He's not. But he's got a really strong arm. He seems to be pretty accurate, especially when he sets his feet. So if Mullen can get him to set his feet when he makes a decision, I think he will be pretty accurate. And then if Mullen can sort of teach him when you want to run and when you don't and can get him to throw the ball when there's one-on-one coverage to the right place, I think he can be successful. But I don't think he's going to be putting up 140 or 150 QB rating to start with for two reasons. One is I don't think they'll give him that many chances to throw. I think that they will probably be a much more run-heavy offense under Emory Jones than they would under any other quarterback. But the other thing is is that it is going to be a one read and out or two reads and out type of deal with him. I'm not sure that you're going to want to trust him to go through a third or a fourth progression. Um, and there are a lot of quarterbacks you wouldn't trust to go through mm-hmm. a third or fourth progression, but he's going to be able to run his way out of trouble a lot. And so, again, I think it'll be a good good with the bad. I think when you look at the film, you see a lot of the same limitations that you saw with Felipe Franks when you looked back in his high school film and some of the things we saw last year. And so those things are going to creep up if Emory Jones is the starter. But He's a true freshman. He should be able to develop. And one of the frustrations was you looked at the high school film for Franks and you looked at the college film for Franks and there didn't look to be a whole lot of a difference between the two. And so, you know, that there was two years between those. And so with Emory Jones, if you let him play his true freshman year and you can see the development and the progress, then, then everybody will be happy. So um, I don't anticipate him winning the job. I mean, I, I looked at the tape and I said, I don't know that he's going to win it. I think he'll probably get quite a few snaps because there is no backup quarterback. And so they're going to have to get somebody some snaps. But I don't necessarily I, – I mean, I didn't look at it and say, wow, that's a guy you have to play. I looked at it and said, there's there's quite a bit of work to do there in the passing game. Yeah, I think we can kind of combine the running back position too uh, into this quarterback preview. But it, it all, I think it kind of goes into what would the offense – well, you know, what will be the look of the offense, especially early on in spring practice? Will it be a run-heavy offense? And Dan Mullen has a stable of running backs like he's never had before his time at Florida or Mississippi State. He's got some depth there. You know, d- does that limit how much he plays two quarterbacks? Does he play two quarterbacks a, a lot because he has a running game to lean on? And, and we know how inst- – and we've bro- we've broken it down of how instrumental – you know, in a in a couple in a few episodes of how instrumental the quarterback running game is in the Dan Mullen offense, but what does it look like when he has a stable of running backs? He's never been able to lean on in in in, in an offense that he has with this. So, will it take some of the third and short uh, runs away from a quarterback like when we saw Tim Tebow his freshman year come in off the bench and, and convert some of those runs? But a lot of that is because of the numbers advantage of running the quarterback gives you. So, I don't think even with the running back position. A lot of the quarterback runs go away because of how successful Mullen is in doing it and the advantage that the numbers give. So you know, does that open the door for Kyle Trask and, and his big body to get some runs, as you mentioned, maybe in the red zone or a true freshman like Emory Jones? If he's not ready, you get his feet wet. You bring him in in important situations. We saw T- Tebow at Tennessee in his freshman year make some com- uh, important conversions. He scored a touchdown in the national championship game after he was already established. He did a jump pass against LSU. They stuck him in in big roles, big SEC environments, national championship game environments, and you know that helped him come along, I think, in being able to get some experience in these big-time situations. And I think even if, look, if, if, if Felipe Franks takes off and he's a completely different quarterback under Dan Mullen than what he was under Jim McElwain, 
I still think you find a way, and much like the Tebow role, and I know we talked about this, uh, of his freshman year, of getting Emory Jones some important snaps, because that really, really, I think, came in handy when Tim Tebow eventually took over. Yeah, but that is one thing I saw when I looked at the films. Emory Jones is big. Like, he's not necessarily heavy, but when you see him out on the field, he looks a lot bigger than the other guys he's out there with. He is not 5'10", 5'11", 6 feet. He's probably six foot four because you can tell when he's out there on the film. When they brought in their backup quarterback, when he got dinged for a couple of plays, you immediately could tell on the film that it was not Emory Jones as the quarterback. <laughs> and so, you know... There is a difference between having Kadarius Toney back there running wildcat plays and having Emory Jones back there running wildcat plays, particularly in the red zone. So um, I agree. I think that I think that's one place you could see him. I also think though that if you think about the Tebow role in in 2006, you still had a very established starter in Chris Leak, somebody who you probably didn't want to disrupt his timing extensively. I mean, they brought out Tebow a lot on third and one, fourth and one, short yardage plays, things like that, but they weren't necessarily switching guys in and out. I can envision a scenario where you would switch the guys in and out based on what you're trying to do and to make your opponent's game plan for what, you know, what's my defense going to do when I bring this guy in? What's my defense going to do when I bring this guy in? So switching guys in and out in a game against Charleston Southern would make a lot of sense to make teams like Kentucky and Tennessee prepare for both guys. Even if you knew you were going to say, give Franks 90% of the snaps when the bullets really start flying in the sec with all that said none of us know i mean the reality is is that franks is clearly going to be the guy who is more of a pocket passer he does have some running ability but he's going to be mostly a pocket passer and last year he struggled and so there's a lot of faith being put in mullen's ability to improve compared to doug nussmeyer which i think is founded but it doesn't mean that that'll happen for everyone. And if, if Franks comes out and lays an egg in the spring game and doesn't show doesn't show improvement when he's under pressure and all those sorts of things, well, yeah, Emory Jones is going to play a lot. But if Franks comes out and takes command of the offense and really shows that he's developed, that he understands what Mullen's trying to do, that he's making quick decisions, that he's the leader that Mullen seems to have indicated that he's at least showing the ability to be, well, Emory Jones is going to have to earn the playing time. I think I think I think the way Mullen described that is aimed straight at his quarterbacks too, right? That everyone's going to be earning their playing time. And so he's not necessarily going to name, I don't think he'll name a starter for the opener. I think what he'll probably do is just let people guess. And, you know, maybe Emory Jones earns 20% of the playing time. Maybe he earns 30. Maybe somebody else earns 10%. You know, Kyle Trask, you mentioned, maybe somebody else earns some playing time as well based on what they do. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to, if your mantra is compete, then you can't let somebody just be the starter because they they showed up, you know, because they played better for two weeks. They got to be the starter because they're consistently playing better in spring ball, in fall camp, in practice, in between the weeks. And I think that's probably what the first year of Mullen at Florida is going to be: is that every week the job is open and you have to prove yourself. All right, well, let's move on to running backs. And I think well, one question I think we could see here is. Do you let Jordan Scarlett go 100% from snap one of you know spring practice when they open up Thursday? Is he running back number one given his history, but he didn't play last year, of course? Or, you know, Malik Davis, who looked like the best running back, but a little on the lighter side, Mullen probably likes the bigger backs with Scarlett, Pirine, Pierce, maybe. Um, you know, do, is Jordan Scarlett the number one running back just because of? His history, uh, given you know, ending the 2016 season uh, on a high note, or do you think it's the Michael P. Ryan who is who's played more recently for the Gators 
and with Malik Davis being hurt, uh, kind of seems to you know to be the the top back uh, on the depth chart if you go by last year. No, I don't think Scarlett is the starter. I think um, he showed to be a very solid back, especially after contact. He didn't show to be a guy that you want to get on the outside and and really try to create mismatches. Um, he didn't catch the ball a lot out of the backfield, and he really struggled in pass protection. So if you have him back there as the starter, at least based on what we've seen on film, you're expecting a running play. That, you know, you're expecting to, to really pound the ball inside. Doesn't mean he won't get carries and doesn't mean he won't get a considerable amount of the carries. I just don't look at the statistics and say he's averaged five yards a carry for his career, which is good, but not great. Um, you know, really, really good running backs in college average somewhere between six and a half and eight yards per carry usually. So if you look at Sony Michelle, you look at Nick Chubb, those are when they had elite seasons, that was sort of their yards per carry average. And it indicates not only an ability to break a tackle, but an ability to break a 60, 70, 80 yard run. And we haven't seen that with Scarlett. He, there were a lot of times, at least two years ago, where he sort of got taken down at 10 or 11 yards where you were just waiting for him to get past that last tackler and he couldn't do it. Now maybe he has, maybe he has really honed his body over that time. Maybe he is, um, he is more explosive than he was two years ago because he hasn't taken the same pounding. I have no idea. And, but I think based- and maybe, maybe, and maybe the not if Mullen can have some success on offense, maybe not facing stack box after stack box. Sure, but I mean, you know, I, I look at Pirine, and you know, I don't see a lot of difference between him mm-hmm. and Scarlett. I mean, there's a difference in terms of their body types, but I don't see a lot of difference in terms of on-field production. Um, you look at Malik Davis. Now he's the guy who showed the difference in on-field production. You know, he turned two-yard runs into six. He turned negative yardage into two. <laughs> he turned ten-yard <laughs> runs into eighty. Like he has that ability, but he's hurt. So who knows? And then you look at Clement, you look at Pierce, and we just don't know exactly what they're going to be able to provide back in the backfield. But uh, to, to Darius say Clemens is the name I'm I'm like I, I, for whatever reason he's one of my like spring breakout players. I think Lemons, <laughs> I think Lemons really just steps it up uh, with the with the new opportunity and the new staff. Well, he has been the guy who has shown the most explosiveness out of any of the guys we've seen thus far. Yeah. Right. So I don't think anyone is going to say Scarlett was an explosive back. I think they would say he was a very effective back after contact. That's how I would describe him, which is a really, really good thing to have. But it's not the game breaker. And it's not when you look at Mullen's film, at least when you look at his film when he was at Florida. Now, granted, he had Chris Rainey and he had Jeff Demps (laughs) back in the backfield. So the goal is to get those guys to the outside. With somebody like Scarlett, you're going to probably keep him inside more. And so it'll be interesting to see what he does. So I think you'll know pretty early on in a spring game based on formations. I mean, if they're trying to get guys to the outside, I think that favors some of the guys who have more speed. And if they're trying to pound it inside, then I think that maybe favors some of the guys who are more bruising running backs. But no, I don't think Scarlett gets the starting job coming right out of the shoot. But obviously, if he's improved in pass protection, he could be a very, very good back. Yeah, I'm interested to really see how he adjusts to the new offense. As I said, hopefully he's not facing stack stack box after stack box. And uh, there's a quarterback that can put some threat of a passing game out on the field and and you know, and it's and as, as you said, it's also not so telegraphed if he's in if it's a pass or run. Uh, but it would be it would be nice to see Scarlett not uh, not face stack boxes. And but my worry is the same as your worry is you never really saw except his I believe it was his freshman year when he had a long run versus Georgia. You haven't seen a lot of uh, touchdown you know, big play uh, 
big yardage gains out of, out of Scarlet. It was more the get to the second level and maybe drag some guys three or four yards and, you know, you get a first down or, or, or making uh, something out of nothing just by – and like as you said, that that serves a role. And maybe in these short yardage situations and, and, and saving a quarterback of taking so many uh, hits on a third and short yardage, you give it to a back like Scarlet. But – uh, I'm not so sure either uh, if he comes out and because given the, you know his trouble last year uh, and not playing at all, um, if he is the the the, the right end for the number one guy, I, th- I think it might go to P. Ryan uh, just based on playing last year uh, and, and being in game shape a lot sooner than Jordan Scarlett was. It's been a whole year that he's played football, uh, but you also you, you have you have a lot of numbers and you have a lot of depth at running back. And you, you go through it in Scarlett, like Michael P. Ryan, Damian Pierce, Lemons, uh, Clement, all go take part in this uh, in this new uh, regi- regime and, and spring ball. Uh, so it's just going to, you know, and of course, you know, we're previewing spring here, but Malik Davis will be back in the fall. You know, Florida's really, really deep at running back, but I, I don't think since you have those numbers, it won't force Scarlett into being the number one guy. Yeah, and I do think we need to be fair to him in that he got hit behind the line of scrimmage a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And so he is the kind of back who takes – he is not Kadarius Toney. I mean, Kadarius Toney is zero to full speed right when he sets down his foot. And that's one of the reasons why he's able to break some of those those screen passes on the outside. Um, You know, it's why he's able to make people miss is that he goes to top speed very quickly after planting his foot. That's clearly not what Jordan Scarlett does. And so if you give him three or four yard – a three or four yard head start, maybe those nine yard runs turn in into 80 yard runs because he's got a full head of steam he hasn't had to avoid someone in the backfield just to get back to the line of scrimmage so i do think we need to be fair to him in that capacity i actually think that the biggest thing is going to be like the biggest thing for playing time for any player really but the running back position will be pretty obvious is the disciplinary thing so you know the gators were 129th out of 130 fbs teams and penalties per play last year (laughs) mississippi state wasn't great they were 83rd but still, Florida averaged 112th in penalties per play during McIlwain's tenure. Mullen average, Mullen's average was 44th over the nine years at uh, at Mississippi State. And so really from a disciplinary standpoint, I mean, you're talking false starts, but you're talking pass protection. You're talking being in the right place at the right time. You're talking all the stuff that goes on during the week that we don't see that then ends up showing up on the tape on Saturdays. I think that's really the type of thing that we'll see is that the the running back who's going to get the bulk of the carries is going to be the guy who can prove that he's going to do all the little things that a running back has to do to be successful, not necessarily the guy who's the best runner. Yeah, and I'm really I'm, and I'm really excited. I, I don't think Mullins had a stack of running backs like he has at Florida, and I'm, I'm interested to you know he's had one or two he could rely on at Mississippi State. Uh, but just not the depth that he has. But I'm interested to see if he changes his scheme a little bit and changes h- how much he runs the ball, how much he runs the quarterback, uh, given how, de- uh, how how deep this running back position is. And do do you do you think he runs the running backs more? Do you still? Uh, and I caution myself not to get too excited about that because the numbers we have seen prove time and time again his offense works the best when the quarterback is running the ball. But in these third and one situations to save your quarterback, I think that's where some of the court that some of the carries may go away from the quarterback. But Mullen knows he's built this offense on a numbers game. So you know, I keep going back and forth on what I think Mullen will do. If he'll take advantage of a deep stable of running backs or if he still runs the quarterback as much as he has in the past. 
I think he's going to put his best skill players on the field to execute what he wants to do. I think having five or six different running backs means that you can put a guy out. You can put maybe one of each type out there. So the defense doesn't know what you're going to do. And I think that if you look at a lot of the stuff that they did when Tebow was, was playing with Aaron Hernandez, he would be Mm -hmm. lined up either at an H back position or sort of in a two back set. And then you could do some things off of that. So, and last year you and I talked a lot specifically, I think after the Texas A&M game about how it was clear that they had targeted Powell, Pirine and Davis as their three playmakers. And they never had them all on the same, uh, they never had them all on the field at the same time. And so if those are the guys who you're going to, who you're going to target in your offense, put them all on the field at the same time because the defense knows it too. And so I think that's a lot of what we're going to see from Mullen is moving guys in and out, trying to get matchups. Because if you're going to throw a little pass to a running back, running sort of a, a curl route across the middle, well, you want a guy who can beat the running back. You don't want the guy with, you don't, or beat the linebacker. You don't want a guy with hands that aren't great, who struggles to get to top speed. You want the guy who's really quick and can make quick cuts. Okay, well, maybe that's somebody like Clement. Um, if you want a really bruising back because you need a yard, well, you bring in Pierce or you bring in Scarlett. But those guys have to be able to do the other stuff yeah. as well in order to keep you honest. And so, um, again, I think it boils down to discipline because you can be a good route runner without necessarily being as explosive an athlete as somebody else. And so those are the types of things I think that hopefully we see that Mullen, when we talk about development, those are the things we're talking about, right? Is somebody being able to run the right route, be in the right place, be a good outlet. When the linebacker doesn't blitz, understanding you're supposed to go out into your route. Um, when the linebacker does blitz, understanding that he's your responsibility, all those sorts of things. So another player that could take carries away from these running backs if he's motioning into the backfield would be your guy, your guy, Will. Kadarius Tony will move the receiver right now. Uh, you know, pretty much going to be set at receiver, but he's also going to, I would imagine, be motioning into the backfield to the Wildcat as a, as a back, motioned in there from the wide receiver position to get a handoff from whoever else is quarterback. Kadarius Tony will be utilized, will be used in, in, in a myriad of ways. Uh, of course, you know, we've, we've heard it time and time again, uh, the Percy role in a Dan Mullen offense. And look, there, there won't be another Percy Harvin, but there will be guys who can try and fill those shoes and in similar type of plays. Uh, Kadarius Tony will be that guy uh, this year in this offense. And look, he looks like he's bolted up. We've seen some pictures online and some videos uh, of the workouts, and he's bigger. He really has gotten bigger, and it was needed uh, from the times he was injured last year. And uh, it seemed like if every hard hit or if he fell on the shoulder, you know, he looked like he'd come up limping. Uh, Kadarius Tony will need to, to put on some weight and, and become a more reliable guy uh, and not stay so injured. But I think he is a playmaker. He's a guy. Uh, who needs the ball in his hands. And, you know, the spring will be a, a, a time for toys for Dan Mullen. And Kadarius Tony uh, is a toy that uh, can, can, you know, can, can he, he can play with and, and, and make something happen. So, you know, Tony, Van Jefferson, Trevon Grimes, uh, we've talked a little bit last week about Hammond and Swain, how good of blockers this are. Does wide receiver position have some numbers, uh, potential? Can they finally live up to it? I think it's going to be Tony. We'll see if Jefferson and Grimes can come in and, and be guys they can rely on. But I think it's going to start with how much Kadarius Tony can get the ball in his hands. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think during the spring game, I'd be real surprised if he gets utilized in that role a ton. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I think you may see one run or a, or a second run. I don't think you see him passing the ball at all. Um 
you know, just because there's no real reason to to get the the fan base riled up, <laughs> and myself included. I mean, but there's no you know reason to have it. Will he's going to well, get? He'll get one pass opportunity, and it'd be like a fifty yard bomb for a touchdown, and then there we go. Well, and why show it, right? If you're going to do it, yeah, I agree. Why, why fool your defense? Yep. <laughs> fool, fool Kentucky's defense or Tennessee's defense right. or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. I don't necessarily see it as a Percy Harvin role. I think Harvin could beat the defense with a speed when people knew he wasn't, he was zero threat to throw the ball. Right. Yeah. I think, I think one of the interesting things with Tony back there is that he will be a threat to throw the ball. People know he used to be a quarterback, regardless of whether they think uh, of how good they think he is. You leave a guy wide open, he should be able to hit him. And so, you know, it's a weird hybrid if you have him back there because it's one of those things where you can do the little fake step forward like Tebow used to do, and it makes mm-hmm. all the linebackers come up, and it's a pretty obvious throw to one-on-one coverage somewhere in the in you know deep down the field. Or you can just have him run. You can have him run read options. You can have him run RPOs. You can do all sorts of different things. And so, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens during the season. I don't think we'll see any of that. During the spring game, I would be very, I'm going to be surprised if he gets more than one run out of the Wildcat. I think that's probably what we see is they say, hey, we'll put him back there and we'll do it. Let the fans get really excited about having him back there. But I think you're going to see more, more route running things for him than you are going to see quarterbacking type things for him in the spring game. Yeah, and I think Muller wants to see him. And of course, we know we get practices for the next month, of course, and the spring game uh, won't be an end all be all tell all. Uh, but you know he'll get to see he'll get to see him for a month. But I think Mullen wants to see him in the situation of how what can he do at wide receiver? Can he be a wide receiver? Can he can like you said? Can he run the routes? Can he get separation? Can he get open? Can he beat man on man coverage? Can 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 he read his zone and, and knows when he needs to sit down in his zone uh, and let the quarterback uh, adjust? I think those are things Kadarius Tony would need to learn. So I think you're right. The more reps he gets at receiver now, since you know we've moved on from him being a quarterback, I think the better. The, the more opportunity he gets to run routes and get the experience and and being a wide receiver, that's what he needs, and that's what the spring is for. Will and something that could take away from this, I want I want to get your opinion on. We still don't have clearance from the NCAA on Van Jefferson and, and Trevon Grimes. How much do you insert them into this spring without knowing? You know that. Most people think it's going to be a favorable ruling uh, that these guys will be eligible. But until they are, I think you start playing the guys that you know are going to be around in the fall. Yes, I think Ben Jefferson has to get uh, uh, you know, get uh, a better rapport with the quarterbacks and, uh, and, and the other receivers in the playbook uh, coming from Ole Miss. Trevon Grimes played in a similar style offense, of course, under Urban Meyer at Ohio State. But I think until you know those guys are clear, and then, look, Dan Mullen makes all the money. He'll make this decision much better than I can just an opinion here. Uh, but I think you let these other receivers learn, get, get a report with Felipe Franks, Emory Jones, uh, figure things, figure things out. If they're cleared anytime soon. Okay. That that's an advantage. You can go ahead and insert them in, but I think I'm rolling with the right receivers that I know are going to be here in the fall and limit Jefferson and Grimes. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I like, these guys are all going to have to compete. And so eligibility is part of that <laughs> and, and is going to, and is going to impact the decision-making in terms of what percentage of play somebody might get. I also think, you know, Josh Hammond and Freddie Swain were four-star caliber mm-hmm. guys coming out of high school. They're not chopped liver. I think a lot of us have real questions about whether they have the, whether they were really limited by the Nussmeyer McElwain offense and whether they will have 
skills that are necessary within the Mullen offense. You mentioned last week Hammond and Swain's ability to block and what can you do with them. Um, obviously, Tyree Cleveland is back, so you've got him on the outside. Kadarius Tony is going to be out there as well. And then you got Jacob Copeland coming in who is immediately eligible. And so, um, yeah, I think the reps are going to go to the guys who they think are going to be eligible, but I think they also have a pretty good idea right. of whether those guys are going to be eligible or not, right? I mean, Florida has lawyers. Florida is helping <laughs> those guys with all the paperwork that's associated with the transfers, and they're sort of watching what's going on with with all the guys from Ole Miss who've transferred. And, and so, and, and with that, Will, before you move on, Shay Patterson, it was announced today, Michigan still does not know. Uh, and so it's at a standstill with him right now. So you would have to think with Van Jefferson, it's probably in the same step. I don't know. You know, I, I think with all the stuff that's going on with the NCAA right now, <laughs> especially on the basketball side, I, I think they're probably going to be pretty lenient with these guys. I don't think they want necessarily to end up in a situation that might cause some litigation on their side, especially with all the mess that was going on at Old Miss when Jefferson left. Grimes, you know, you – I'm not entire. I mean, he, I guess he's applying for a for a family hardship. Is that mm-hmm. is that right. the yep. you know? And and so those are usually granted um, if there's real reason to do so. And I have no reason to to think there isn't. And then it's a pretty it's a pretty nasty situation for all those guys who are transferring from Ole Miss in terms of what did they know? When did they know it? You know, did did Freeze lie? Did the program lie? Did they know about what was going on with the investigations with the NCAA? All those sorts of things. I think there's probably been some wink, wink acknowledgement from people who are in the know about whether these guys are or are not eligible. I think Florida knows. I don't think they can announce it, but I think they probably know. And so maybe we learn something by watching the spring game. If those guys are starting and they get six (laughs) balls thrown to each of them, we probably can infer that somebody told them they have a pretty good shot at being eligible. And if we don't see them much at all, then I think that tells us something as well. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of talent on the outside at wide receiver. There's a lot of potential out there. Um, but the guys who produced last year are eligible, and so I think we're going to see them as the as the primary starters going forward. Yeah, but one guy I don't want to forget, uh, you know, we thought going into last year uh, he could make an impact uh, in the new offense because we kept hearing about him a lot as Jay Masty. So I'm interested to, you know, another versatile player uh, that can, you know, from what we've heard in, in the past, a versatile player who could – uh, get handoffs out of the backfield or, you know, in the rounds or reverses and a guy who could get some, uh, take a short pass deep or, or get behind uh, some defenders. You know, it's it interesting to see if he finally uh, can live up to the billing that, that we've heard for the last couple of years, even before he got hurt uh, the year before last. So, you know, Dre Massey's another, another name uh, not to forget there. Will, offensive line, I tell you what, uh, not sure where it's going to go. Uh, I mean, who plays where right now is we, we talked about Ivy when he declared that he would come back to Florida and not go to the draft if he would go to tackle or, or guard. Um, you know, I still think he still might be a better guard than he is a tackle. Uh, does he have to play tackle by necessity? I think uh, that's one thing, you know, these Gator coaches will find out in the spring. But when it's all said and done, you know, the biggest, you know, the biggest name, one of the uh, a few uh, only five stars Jim McElwain brought in still on the roster decided to come back. Um, when it's all said and done, you think uh, Ivy's a tackle or a guard? I think he's probably going to play tackle. Okay. I, I think they probably told him he's going to play tackle. I think they're going to give him every opportunity to play tackle. I think based on his skill set, 
he probably, I mean, you know, just based on the raw skills, I, th- I think he can play tackle. Now, you know, is, is that the best place for him based on what we've seen? You know, I don't know. Um, <laughs> he's certainly struggled on the outside, um, but he's got the ability. And so really, to me, it's a question of, um, of coaching. And, and is the coach going to be able to put him in a position to succeed? There are a lot of plays where he wasn't getting help on the outside or the tight end was being asked to protect yeah. against a defensive end. And then the tight end turned into a turnstile. And, and, you know, at no point did I ever think that the offense last year had an effective pass protection strategy for, for the most part. And so I do think that they'll have that. I also think there's going to be an increased level of competition. Um, you've got Noah Banks. You've got Chris Blythe coming in. Those guys are both tackles, but they're three stars, but still relatively high-rated three stars. Yeah, and they're going to be – Gene DeLance transfers. You've got Gene DeLance, you've got Richard Garage coming in. So there's there's obviously some options in terms of what they will do. Brett Heggie looked pretty good last year at times. Juwan Taylor has looked good on the right at the right tackle. Um, you know, but you look at Fred Johnson and TJ McCoy, those guys are gonna have to step up and play better because of the competition that's coming from these other guys who are who are coming into the program. So um I think if you really look at the offensive line last year, I don't think the tackles were necessarily the weak spot on a regular basis. I think there were times you can pick out where false starts were unnecessary. I think you can pick There are times where you can look and say, Oh, somebody got beat, but there were also times where it looked like the tackle got beat and the quarterback made the wrong read that there was a blitz coming. There was a hot read. And if the ball had just gotten out of the pocket, nothing happens, but instead you get a sack or you get a sack for a fumble or you get a sack for a safety or a touchdown or whatever, where the quarterback caused the problem. Um, even though the even though the, the offensive lineman got beat, so um, I look at it. I think the guard spot was a sp- was a place where Florida struggled, particularly getting pushed down the field in the running game. And I think that's, that's why I think I see Ivy there is because of that. You see him at guard. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, certainly if you've got a solution at tackle, then that's great. That's true. Yeah, um, I think that's, that's the first step, and that's that's the question, I guess. <laughs> Well, I mean, and that's the thing, right? Is is if you if Mar- if Ivy is the best option to protect your quarterback, especially from the blind side, I think yeah. Ivy's out there at tackle, which is why I think Ivy will be out there. I think from a physical gift standpoint, from an experience standpoint, he's got the most of that. I think consistency and discipline are the two things that he needs to add. And I think if you combine like. The penalty stats that I cite are a perfect example where consistently consistency and discipline were not something that necessarily were demanded from the McElwain regime. And now full out effort all the time is going to be demanded. And if you get somebody with the talent of Martez Ivy giving full out effort and being paying attention to detail, I think he's going to be a pretty good left tackle. Is he going to be, you know, all SEC? Is he going to be, you know, an NCAA first team AP All American? I don't know. But I think he can be a very good left tackle in an offense where you utilize his strengths and you make sure that he's got competition coming up behind him so that there's no no ability to slack off. Yeah, I think this 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 whole Mullen offense I think will help the 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 offensive line. Uh, there's not a lot of creativity in it. It's go beat your guy, your one on one guy. Now we know we saw Florida get beat time and time again. You know, it's going back to the Michigan game last year and the FSU game, uh, the Georgia game, uh, getting beat uh, up front. But when they didn't have these slow developing plays, when they just let the quarterback hand off to the running back and get upfield, it helped this offensive line. And I think that's what you're definitely going to see more with this damn well in offense is 
look, you beat your guy. Don't get creative. Get you know, create some more lanes for these running backs. And I, I think it'll help. I, I think just the changing of the style of offense will help these guys. Uh, and you're right. You know, can TJ Moore, Delance step up at tackle if they want to move? If they see Ivy is a really good guard and want to move him inside. Uh, he played in a run-heavy offense in high school. That was his bread and butter. Uh, he had, as you said, the size and, and the raw ability to be a tackle, but he hasn't lived up to that five-star tackle um, uh, billing. I thought he was a really good guard, but he was needed uh, at tackle last year. So, you know, I did have my questions last year if he could have been an effective tackle, and he wasn't terrible. Uh, but I do think it, it, for, for for my money, if they can stick him at guard, if they can get somebody they can rely on at, at tackle, I think that's where we may see the the this offensive line be at its best if if he can play tackle and they find somebody else that, as you said, can protect their quarterback. Well, it also assumes five starting offensive linemen and backups, and I don't yeah. know that that's the way they're going to run it. I think it'll be like the defensive line, right? Some guy jumps off sides and he's immediately taken off the field. (laughs) And I don't know why you wouldn't do that on the offensive line as well. Now, obviously there are cohesion issues and things like that, but at some point somebody's going to get injured. You need somebody to come in as a backup and have experience. And you don't just want to be throwing in a guy for the first time when that happens. So again, I, I think it makes sense to have an offensive line rotation as much as it does to have a defensive line rotation. And when people make mistakes, they're going to get taken off the field. And when they play well, they're going to earn their playing time. They're going to be on there. So again, if Ivy starts at left tackle, I don't think that means he's the left tackle the rest of the year. And in in the last couple of years, that was kind of what happened just because there wasn't anybody else. But now now there's somebody else to where if he's not playing well, you can bring someone else in. If he's playing well, well, great. That means you're stronger everywhere else across the board. And so um, I do think that you'll see a rotation. I think you'll see a lot of guys getting playing time. I wouldn't be surprised if you get eight, nine guys on the offensive line who've gotten meaningful snaps over the course of the year. Hopefully that's not due to injury. Hopefully that's due to rotation <laughs> into the game. But I, I, I wouldn't expect it to be a five-man starting unit, and, and I think that's what Mullen's been saying in his press conferences. Yeah, I think it will be inter- really interesting to see. also see Heggie will not be taking part uh, in spring practice, but when fall rolls back around, if he can make a push as good as he was last year, if he can make a push at center with the way McCoy struggled, uh, last year, if they can move Heggie uh, into center, but you know we don't have to worry about that for spring. But you know, I, I, I kind of caution uh, what we see in spring at offensive line just because of when they get Heggie back in the fall. I think that changes some things. Yeah, I, I think the offense was so bad last year that we have to figure out, and it's going to take real games to figure out. And maybe the spring game can give us a clue, but we have to figure out: was it the coaches? Was it the players? Was it both? And how? what percentage? Was it 80% players, 20% coaches? <laughs> Was it 80% coaches, 20% players? I think we all suspect, based on what we saw and the inability to make adjustments and you know the same mistakes happening over and over, I think we all suggest that it leans more towards the coaches. And if that's the case, well, then the co- new coaches coming in are going to make a big difference. And if those coaches make a big difference, you know, all the potential for the wide receivers. Well, now they start delivering on that potential. It's a really good receiving unit if they deliver on the potential. But for the most part, they haven't done that yet. Same thing for the offensive line. There's really talented players on that offensive line who have not necessarily lived up to their potential. If this coaching staff can get them to live up to their potential, it's going to be a pretty good offensive line. Same thing with the quarterbacks, guys who are highly ranked coming out of high school who have really underperformed when they've been in the the games. And if this coaching staff can get them to live up to that potential, then we're going to have a pretty good quarterback. So um, 
all across the board, when you're 105th or 107th or whatever they've been the last three years on offense, there are places to improve. And I think we're going to see that probably my expectation is, is there's going to be a lot of improvement just based on the coaching upgrade. And then also there's going to be a competition upgrade as well. Yep. As we said, we, we are stars matter people, but we also do realize the fact that you have to have somebody to put the puzzle pieces together. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's where it's going. Uh, quickly, we'll move to tight end. Will, before we shift over to the defense, can Siante Lewis be a reliable target? Uh, you know, he, he has shown potential. He has shown, chances but you know big third downs in games he drops passes or, or so he was named a, a team leader um uh so and especially at the tight end position uh he said he takes great pride in that that his teammates think of that but you know that lets you think you know he does the things right off the field where his where his teammates feel that way but you know can he turn the corner and be a consistent playmaker at from the tight end position uh, and i think that's one big question that Dan Mullen is gonna have to figure out of him we know uh, we've seen him use tight ends uh going back all the way to Cornelius Ingram uh, his first couple of years in, in Gainesville and, and showing the kind of weapon uh, that he that he was and, and being able to use a tight end even down the field uh, as a passing threat. And also the different type of tight end that Aaron Hernandez was and being able to use uh, some of those you know shovel passes that take uh, for long gains uh, that would you know just really tear defenses apart. Uh, that was uh, you know, a staple under Urban Meyer, and uh, probably nobody ran it better when Tebow and Hernandez teamed up to do it. So we've seen different ways Dan Mullen can use tight ends, and it would be nice to see Siante Lewis. You know, kind of, I don't think he's either really one of those guys, but can he be something in between? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he was a three-star coming in, 889th nationally ranked. So. You know, I, I don't know that you expect him to be like I expect him to be relatively inconsistent from time to time. I expect him to struggle at various aspects where he's going to have to develop. And we've obviously talked already tonight about coaching and development. So I think this is an area where Kyle Pitts, I think this is an area where Kamori Gamble, I think that's a place where really somebody can announce their their arrival at the spring game because you can see someone who's at all these spring practices who's you know for, in gamble's case a guy who's been there now for a year and a half or in pitt's case somebody who is you know relatively you know relatively young within the system those are the kinds of guys you can see step up and be a starter so um you know i'm actually look i'm looking at the tight end position i don't know whether it'll be lewis but certainly um you know he has some of the physical tools that you would expect to see some success within dan mullen's offense it'll be interesting to see who's actually in that position and who's getting the ball um and who's being asked to block and whether it's the same guy all right we'll move to defensive side and will that's where we got a lot of our questions uh from or a couple questions uh from when we uh kind of sent the tweet out asking people what they want to talk about in the spring preview here and from Chop and Cheer, he says, how do you see the transition from the 4-3 to 3-4 going? Obviously, it would be a hybrid, but how do you see players moving around and who fits at what spots moving forward for the front seven? Um, it would definitely be a hybrid. And you know, it's, of course, three down linemen instead of four when you're thinking of the 3-4 the and the difference of the 4-3. Uh, but also, you know, Grantham likes to get exotic at times. You may see two down linemen uh, at, at times, a linebacker line up right over a center. So while I think it would be more 3-4 than anything else, there will be many formations and schemes 
uh, that you know we're not used to seeing uh, in the previous years, and that's what Todd Grant was going to bring. Um, if you look at the kind of scheme he'll bring as well, as a one-gap 3-4 instead of a two-gap scheme. So now, instead of each of the three down linemen being responsible for two different gaps, they'll only be responsible for one. So the nose tackle may be responsible for two gaps, but you know linebackers will be asked to, to fill remaining gaps uh, when when you're talking about Todd Grantham's defense, uh, linebacker, linebacker safety type will be the fourth guy in the box at times, you know, depending on the alignment and formation. So uh, a quote from Todd Grantham, uh, when he spoke to the media, he said, quote, I think in today's game with the kind of players you're using, you want to be more one gap and that you want to be able to attack the blockers. Grantham said, you want to be able to rush the passer. And by being able to rush the passer, that means you're an attacking front. Your front is in attack mode because most offenses want to be balanced 50-50 first, second down as far as run pass. So that means we need to be in position to play the run as well as rush the passer. So we're more of an attack mode defense up front. We're more one gap oriented. And from what, from, from there, we're just going to mix and match our fronts to try and give a variation of what we're doing. So we'll, you know, now this is, it also, you get a defensive end. Uh, that'd be standing up uh, at, at times. Uh, and that's the position that'd be causing a lot of the chaos and disruption. It'd be a player that can bring speed to the position uh, and be a force of havoc. And I think this is the most important position on the field in a Todd Grantham defense. Think of the Jarvis Jones type of player that Todd Grantham had at Georgia. That's the ideal style of play and production for that position. That's got to be CC Jefferson in, in that role this year. When Florida will go four, def- four defensive linemen, he'll line up as a traditional defensive end. But when they go three down linemen, he'll slide out standing up and has to become a monster making plays. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to pay attention to what Jefferson is doing on the end. And I think rightly so, because he's the guy who gets all the tackles for loss. <laughs> I think he had 13 and a half last year and certainly was in the backfield a lot. The thing that I look at is that Taven Bryan is now gone. And he was the guy who caused a lot of disruption in the backfield from the tackle position. And so you've got Kerry Clark, you've got Elijah Conliffe, and you've got Daryl Slayton as the guys who are now taking over. It's a pretty thin defensive tackle group. Talented, young, but kind of thin. And I think that's, you know, inevitably the 3-4 defense hinges on those three guys up front being able to occupy blockers so that the defensive ends and the, or so that the linebackers can really get to the quarterback and cause that chaos you're talking about. And so. Um, you know, to me, the play of the defensive tackles is going to be the key in terms of their ability to do it. It's one of the reasons why I said defensive line was very, very important for the 2018 recruiting cycle. So you've got, you know, you've got Malik Lamb coming in, and so what's he going to be able to contribute? Sort of as one of those outside defensive linemen. I mean, he's big. He's going to be one of the guys who's who's inside one of those three guys, one of those three down linemen. Same thing with somebody like Antonius Clayton. If he's playing inside, then you know all of a sudden those are the guys who are going to really have to get push. And that's what I think you need to be looking for in the spring game. I think that's what we need to be looking for next year is those guys up front will dictate what the defense can do. And CC Jefferson can't get freed up if he's getting hit by an offensive lineman because he's not getting <laughs> occupied by the by the three down linemen. And that's just the way that defense works. Yeah, you know, as far as those other defensive line positions go, you know, there's gonna be a lot of cross training, Grantham said, in the spring to see who can fit where. You might see guys that we think are defensive tackles in a four down lineman scheme, and they might slide outside the defensive end in a three down lineman setup. You know, or Elijah Conliffe, Kyrie Campbell, those guys you mentioned, they, they fit that mold. And same for the defensive ends 
that we've that we 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 called defensive ends in the in the past defense. Some of those guys can now slide out to outside linebacker in this new scheme, uh, depending on the on the alignment. Jabari Zuniga, Jacob Light, Antonio Clayton was a name that was brought up, and Dan Mullen uh, said in his press conference that he expects Clayton to stay. Yeah, at true defensive end and not necessarily uh, go stand up at outside linebacker. So that was an uh, interesting note there uh, from Dan Mullen. So and there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching this spring. And, and Grantham was able to figure it out quickly at Mississippi State uh, in his one year there, improving that defense greatly. Uh, I don't think there's a reason to think that he can't do it again. Uh, but, you know, Florida is, you know, it, you know do they have the players for a fast turnaround when it was so non-aggressive 4-3 style to now more of a 3-4 really aggressive style. Well, that'll be the question. I mean, you know, you and I have talked before about the defensive line and how it's important that the defensive line especially has has high-ranked high-star players, that the, that that is the hallmark of all the top five defenses in the country. Inevitably, I think they average, um, you know, 220 is the average national ranking for the defensive line of the top five defense. If you look at Alabama, their average national ranking is 106th. But even Ohio State's 270, 241 for Michigan. The only team that's in that top five that isn't that isn't at that point is is Wisconsin, who's got a much higher average, but they don't recruit very well overall. Anyway, the correlation between success and recruiting is less on offense than it is on defense. It just is. And the defensive line is really an area where you need to have where you need to have guys who can really dominate. Right now, if you look at guys like Jabari Zanaga, uh, Kerry Clark, Taven Bryan, and if you call CC Jefferson sort of a, a hybrid defensive end, uh, you know, linebacker, you're looking at aver- an average national rank of 449. And so it's it's not it's not an elite group for those four guys. So, but if you put Tadaryl Slayton in there, all of a sudden that jumps up because he was a top 40 recruit. Um, so a lot of it, I think, depends on who takes step forwards. Antonius Clayton was a top 30 recruit. So now you're looking at guys who really add to the talent profile, but obviously they have to play up to that talent. And that's really been sort of the theme tonight is there's a lot of potential. <laughs> the, the question is, can that potential deliver and can it start to deliver and can Mullen get it to deliver? And and if he can, then the team will be successful. And same thing with Grantham. If Grantham can get it to deliver, the team will be successful. I do worry that from a talent standpoint, the defense is awfully thin, especially up front. Defensive line and linebacker is a place where Florida has not brought in a ton of numbers. They also haven't brought in a ton of blue chip recruits. And so, you know, we saw that last year with linebackers who had trouble covering running backs out of the backfield, that if they were in for the runs to run stop, they struggled with, with, uh, with uh, coverage. And if they were in for coverage, they struggled <laughs> with stopping the run. And so hopefully the strength and conditioning, hopefully some of the new guys, and hopefully maybe a little bit better health will help mitigate that. Um, I don't think we're looking at a top 10 defense, but I wouldn't be surprised if it, I think they were ranked like, 55th or 60th in points per game i'd be surprised if they're not up around the 35 to 40 range next year yeah, you you stole my thoughts exactly with linebacker you know that, that it's even more of a question mark because of the the less talent at the position especially inside you know where david reese is really you know pretty much the only consistent player that really fits that uh, inside linebacker role son joseph will probably play inside in this new three four as well but he'll get a crack there with all the playing time he's amassed but who you know he really had a disappointing 2017 uh, as you mentioned and kyle johnson also has a lot of experience but needs to stay healthy um but there's not much proven behind those three if those guys are going to play inside and the recruiting really has you know 
know, at a talent pool lacking there uh, for now. So, but they get eventual Miller, James Houston come back from the credit card scandal uh, to provide some depth here. Uh, but what condition are they in uh, after not playing at all last season? So I think, you know, seeing how much they get in much like Jordan Scarlett, how much are they inserted? I think there's more of a need since they play in a linebacker position than what Jordan Scarlett as at running back. So you, you know, if, you know, I don't, I don't know how much the, the scandal plays into it, but you know, those guys are really needed. So I don't know if that plays into it or not. Uh, and we kind of mentioned uh, outside linebacker, you know, previously where CC polite and, and, and others uh, can help out, but I'm really excited to see Jeremiah moon uh, in that role as well. Uh, maybe opposite uh, of CC Jefferson at the other outside linebacker position uh, in most alignments. Cause you know, he's really athletic guy, a pretty fast guy. And I think he just really fits well in this outside linebacker role, just because of his athleticism and, and, and just pure uh, talent or based off of his speed. Yeah. It's going to, you know, he did come, especially in that Tennessee game, he was in to stop the run and they pulled him off when they thought he was going to have to be in coverage. So we'll see. If he's playing more of a hybrid role, that sort of, yeah, he'll drop back in coverage some, but that won't be one of his primary responsibilities. So you really might be able to utilize his pass rushing, rushing skills. I also don't think we should forget, and I, I think it's easy to forget, the defense had to be demoralized with an offense that mm. just could not ever give them a break, right? There was, all, there was never a time where the defense felt like, oh, okay, I can give up seven points and we might be able to overcome it. There was never a time where they just thought, okay, we can go back and forth in a shootout. And I think if Mullen can bring an offense that can allow that sort of thing, the defense might just be able to relax. And if they can relax, I think you might see just improvement based on knowing that they're allowed to make a mistake and it won't absolutely tank the team. Because last year, if they gave up, you know, if they gave up more than 14 points, the team wasn't winning. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that that impacts the way the defense plays. You got to take, you are, you're going to play tight if you can't give up anything. And I think the defense in many cases played very, very well, especially early in the season. And I think some of the defensive stats don't reflect that because of the, um, the issues against Georgia and Missouri, um, you know, where it didn't necessarily look like they wanted to be there all that much. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll move to the secondary, and that goes to our next question from Ruben Moreno at Ruben Moreno on Twitter. Uh, he wants to talk about the safety rotation. And he goes, "Do you see twenty-three? That's Chauncey Gardner Johnson now. So Chauncey Gardner, you know, legally changed his name. It's Chauncey Gardner Johnson now. Uh, so do we see him staying at that spot? Which young guys do you see stepping up? Two twenty-nine, thirty-one, all played a little last year. Think it's significant that English coaches safety and nickel." Uh, together. So to answer that question, Dan Mullen actually answered that question at his press conference. So we got a little bit of reprieve there. Well, we didn't have to guess on this one. Uh, Chauncey Gardner would start spring at safety. So now I don't think he'll be asked to be that fill in the box, become a tackling machine, uh, but maybe, you know, more in the free safety mold, roaming mold, uh, where he can become a ball hawking playmaker. You know, kind of like we saw toward the end of his uh, true freshman season. You know, he'll also play some nickel sum as well. And I think we all expected that part of it. But, you know, I, I want to see Thompson Gardner in a role where he can be a, a free roaming playmaker. Yeah, we want to see him in that role he was against Florida State two years ago. Yeah. 
Because in that game against Florida State, there was a play where he got beat because he was young, and there were a bunch of plays where he got interceptions. Same thing against Iowa, right? There were plays that he looked really, really good against Iowa because he was playing center field because Marcel Harris was the enforcer safety who could come up and play sort of a hybrid linebacker and safety role. So the question is, is there a guy on the team who can play that role? I think Donovan Steiner actually might be able to fill some of that role. He came in and played quite a bit of linebacker last year when they were having some trouble there at the <laughs> linebacker position. There were some adjustments that Randy Shannon made in the in the game against LSU, and Steiner was involved in that sort of stuff. So maybe he comes in. I think Trey Dean certainly has gotten a lot of run in terms of his ability and how much he was flying around at some of the uh, – at some of the high school events. And so he's, he's probably going to get an opportunity. Amari Bernie is somebody that people have talked about being able to sort of play that hybrid enforcer type role between a linebacker and a safety. So I don't think that Gardner Johnson is necessarily going to be asked to do the things he was being asked to do last year, which didn't necessarily fit within his best skill set. He still put himself in the hole last year. He was usually in the right position. <laughs> yeah. I'm just not sure he was really a Uh, You know, you put a guy – it's like when Franks went out there and was asked to run an offense that just didn't didn't seem to prepare him for what he was going to do. It felt like the same thing on defense where you got a guy who's in the right position, and it's not his fault that he's got a 240-pound running back coming down on him. I mean, so – And to his credit, he did get better as the season went on. Sure. Yeah, Yeah. he he improved quite a bit, and he was in the right position. Like – you know, my, my coach, when I used to play sports, my, my baseball coaches usually would talk about they could deal with physical mistakes. They couldn't deal with the mental mistakes. And the issue with Florida last year was there were a bunch of physical mistakes and a bunch of mental mistakes. But Johnson, but, but Gardner Johnson doesn't usually make those mental mistakes. It's usually he's in the hole. Okay, the tackle got missed. You can live with that. Yep. If he's not in the right hole, that's a problem. And that's not something we necessarily saw. So, um, you know, anyway, yeah, I, I think you've got him back in that center field role. I think that's where he's more comfortable. I think, you know, the deep pass against Michigan, um, that, you know, that sort of thing are the things that don't happen when you've got a guy with experience who's back there in that role. And if they can find that enforcer at the other safety position, there's no reason to have Gardner in, in the hole against that running back on a regular basis. Yeah, plenty, plenty of names in that safety rotation. Uh, Jawan Taylor, uh, Quincy Linton, Sean Davis, Donovan Stider, as you mentioned, uh, Brad Stewart, uh, you know, Edwards as well. You know, plenty of names to throw out there. Uh, and, and new guys coming in, I'm really, really high on Amari Bernie, but he's a guy, you know, who can may even slide out to outside linebacker uh, with the numbers that, you know, they have in, in the secondary. Uh, you, But, you know, it could be a guy who comes up in the box out of the safety position. You know, I, I'd be interested to see how they really use Amari Bernie uh, and his size, his athleticism. He, he he can be a guy who can play deep, who can play mid-level, who can get up in the box as well, who will allow Chauncey Gardner uh, to be that, you know, playmaker. So uh, Amari Bernie is a guy, I think, coming in early his first spring with, with this Gator team and, and seeing how – quick he can get entrenched because you know one of the highest rated prospects to to come in this past recruiting class and they can get him on the field fast with with his size and versatility i think that goes a long way in helping this defense yeah you know there are a lot of places on the florida roster where we point at and say we need to do better recruiting there are some talent deficits there Safety is not one of them. <laughs> so, there are a ton of four-star guys back there, top 100 recruits back there, who really have an, have have the potential and can see and in many cases have actually shown 
production on the field as well. And so out of all the places I'd be worried about youth or about talent or something like that, safety is really not one of them. I think the question is going to be, do they have enough talent back there to move one of those guys to that outside linebacker or play like a hybrid so that you don't necessarily have to get into a nickel if you have a guy in the safety who can play against the run and can cover somebody in the slot. Yep, and uh, we'll take our final look uh, at at cornerback here. Uh, Mullen did announce Justin Watkins, the big-time commit that they got who we thought would maybe be receiver. He was going to start springing out, trying out at cornerback. So we know Marco Wilson, C.J. Henderson have entrenched themselves uh, in the two main cornerback spots. So some guys will get some some playing time at at nickel, so can Watkins uh, be there. Uh, as well, Chauncey Gardner will get some uh, role. Chauncey Gardner Johnson will get a role uh, in the nickel as well. But um, you know, Stewart Edwards, we mentioned them uh, as safeties, but those guys were rated as corners uh, when they came out uh, as recruits and they played safety last year. But you know, could could, could Florida could change their mind? Uh, and, and Todd Grantham's new defense could they be options now at the cornerbacks position? Uh, you also have McCarthy Bennett, C.J. McWilliams. Uh, can the new staff see something in them that the previous staff didn't Trey Dean come in versatile safety or cornerback as well. So some names there, uh, but it was a surprise, uh, a little bit of a surprise in that M- Mullen, you know, when he was asked that Watkins will be starting out at cornerback instead of receiver. And I, and I don't think it's, I mean, I don't, well, I won't, I won't say surprise. Uh, I don't think we really knew the answer until we got it from Dan Mullen, but with at, with the depth at wide receiver, Justin, and Mullen did say, he talked to Justin Watkins about this. It wasn't really the coaching staff. And he told the story of when they were talking, he asked Watkins, all right, so when we break huddle and we go to our position groupings, which one are you going to go to? And he said, coach, whichever one you want me to go to. He goes, no, I want you to choose. So that's where it comes from. Watkins wants to play cornerback starting out at spring for Florida. Yeah, so I think it tells you two things. One is we talked a little bit about Wink Wink Grimes and <laughs> Jefferson. <laughs> I think it might tell it's it's at least a data point that makes us think maybe that might be what's going on. The other thing is is I think the real impact you're gonna see from Watkins is kick returner and punt returner. Those are things he's really excelled at when he's been um you know, in the high school tape, you look at him and he's a really dynamic guy on special teams. So even if he doesn't break the starting lineup as a defensive back, I do think he's going to break the starting lineup as a special teams player. And we certainly saw the importance of that with Urban Meyer and Brandon James. They certainly put an emphasis on that in terms of blocking kicks, having guys out on the edge. And then obviously, if you've got those center field skills, in some capacity, you'll be an excellent corner as well. So, um, you know, yeah, a little bit of a surprise, um, but I don't think it's going to necessarily prevent him from having his, his hands on the ball from time to time throughout the year. And I really do think that one of the areas he can really contribute is special teams. Yep. So and we won't really get into special teams too much, but probably kicker, you know, true freshman, Evan McPherson there, uh, you would have to think, uh, you know, can Tony be a guy that they want to get into, into return game? You mentioned Watkins, I think, you know, CJ Henderson's name might be thrown out there too. And you know, one thing we did remember uh, from Urban Meyer and the demo I'm sure we'll bring over is, you know, he didn't mind starters played on special teams. So, uh, don't be surprised if we see some big names that we didn't necessarily see under the previous staff or, or some big names we didn't necessarily expect and end up on special teams as well. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and predict that we don't have a dental student who's a kicker. And <laughs> <laughs> what, and about I, guy, what, what about a guy who bagged groceries at Publix and, uh, and, and ran a fake field goal versus Georgia? 
Well, you know, we're we're, we're <laughs> hey, you got to do what you got to do, and there were a lot of injuries that year, and but obviously it makes for some decent jokes. But uh, no, I I think when you look at special teams, because there's so much talent at the defensive back position, that's where I would expect the the prevalence of guys on special teams. I think if you can absorb an injury. You can absorb it at defensive back right now. I'm not sure you necessarily want to absorb that with Kadarius Tony, unless he's just so dynamic at returning punts yeah. that you have to put him back there. But I don't think you risk a guy like that in that position if you've got 95% of his ability with somebody who's on the defensive side of the ball, especially if you figure Watkins probably isn't going to start the year as a starting corner. I mean, maybe he does. Maybe he's that talented. But if he doesn't start the year as a corner – well, he'll get into the game on special teams. Why put your starting wide receiver back there on special teams? So I, I sort of expect that guy to come from the defensive backs, whether it's Watkins, whether it's Henderson, whether it's somebody else, I don't know, but I would expect it to come from that that space. Man, Will, we fit it all in an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> we should have done offense and defense. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, and we, yeah, we probably could have waited a bit longer on defense, but I, th- I think we covered it pretty well. Any, anything else that you wanted to hit for uh, spring ball? Since uh, you know they're they're hitting the practice field with these open practices on uh, Friday and Saturday, so you know we'll get to see firsthand uh, up close uh, of what these what this team can do uh, the first two days of spring. But anything anything in particular you're really looking for? Well, I mean, we talked about it last week. It's ones on ones. It's it's compete, compete, compete. What does compete mean? What does relentless effort mean? Um, you know, what are the like? What's the attitude of the guys who are out there? Are they flying around? Are they doing things <laughs> like? If I got to see the entire practice, I'd want to know what they're doing in terms of um, in, in terms of penalties and discipline, and what do they do when someone does does jump off sides? Those sorts of things. But the thing I'll be interested in seeing for the spring game, the thing I'll be interested in hearing about from the uh, from the media is is it ones on ones? How hard are they competing? That I think is the is the epitome of what Mullen has been talking about all off season, and I want to see if that carries through in the in the spring practices and the spring game. Awesome, awesome work, Will. Um, remember. We do it uh, all the time. Hashtag pack the swamp. It's uh, you know, the university of uh, Florida has been sending out some tweets and social media posts as well, talking about packing the swamp. So let's make sure for that spring game, the swamp is packed uh, for this Gators football team. And also I've had people asking uh, during the show and stuff about the hats. Yes. I know. I, I kind of teased it a couple weeks ago, hopefully by next week. <laughs> so we'll get the, we'll get the hats out there and everybody, I think we're going to have black, blue and white with the the net back kind of like this one here uh if you're watching on youtube and a pure blue one uh as well all blue can we uh, get one in swamp green one in swamp green hey hey the recruits like it can i can i send it to can i can i send it to them and they're, they're rock- <laughs> hey their things cost money we'll hush hush <laughs> But I did get black, and I did have uh, some requests for black, so uh, I did get the. I will get black ones made uh, as well. So, and Mother did mention the Gators will probably have some black uniforms coming up soon too. So, uniform talk, you know, that's what we get in the off season, will and and and, and hat talk. Oh man, <laughs> white helmets, black uniforms. You, you're gonna, you're gonna make people on Twitter blow a gasket about the non traditional uniforms. Um, that along with the people who don't want to sing Tom Petty anymore after the fourth. After the third quarter, because of the lack of success from last year, you can, but, I, can, uh, I, can I make the PSA? Uniforms don't matter. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> they're fun. I enjoy yeah. stuff. It's exactly. fun. It's fun to not know what they're going to wear on on Saturday and sort of have the anticipation of the of the Gator equipment guys putting that stuff out. I mean, you know what? It's a sport. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah. It's great to talk about it, and and if the kids like it, then fantastic. There we go. There we go. All right, we'll uh, readreaction.com, of course. They, uh, guys can go to the site, readandreaction.com, to look for your latest Emory Jones breakdown. Are you doing Kyle Trask and Jake Allen together next week since there's not much on them, or are you, doing, are you going to do them separate? I haven't entirely decided, to be honest with okay. you. Um, it's The goal has been to allow the – the reader to understand and the fan to understand what each quarterback is able to do and isn't able to do from my perspective, at least, and, you know, there are certainly times when I'm wrong, but from my perspective, what, what can they do and what can't they do? So it sort of lends itself to individual breakdowns, but, uh, but uh, we'll see. Cause there's a very limited amount of tape out there on Trask because there isn't any, there is, there's very little high school tape and there's very little college tape. And so two spring um, games, but all you got. <laughs> so, so, but you know, you can, I think you can make some determinations based on what you see. And, and so I'm going to try to do that. So yeah, it's, it, those two may end up getting combined. And then there have been a lot of people after the recruiting season who asked me about Jalen Jackson. And so I'm going to go back and look oh, at his tape right. as well yep. and yep. sort of, you know, talk about what I see there and probably talk about some of the statistical stuff as well. Because um, I certainly looked at Emory Jones' completion percentage and Felipe Frank's completion percentage, but I haven't necessarily gone through with Jalen Jackson. Looked at that too. So, so those are the things that will be coming up. They probably will be a little bit more abridged than some of the uh, some of the you know the Frank's breakdown, the Tony breakdown, and the uh, and the Emory Jones breakdown. But but certainly I want people to have a full understanding of what these guys are capable of, so that at least when they're screaming for the backup quarterback. They know what they're what they're in for when they're asking for it. So, <laughs> good deal, good deal. Yeah, I did have people ask last week. Jalen Jackson is the preferred walk on Florida signed uh, this past recruiting cycle, so that's why you didn't see uh, his name a lot. Uh, he was a preferred walk on, not necessarily highly rated uh, recruit there. So his name, uh, we'll get to see him uh, coming up uh, in when the summertime and, and spring or a fall camp rolls around. Uh, there, but remember, you can find all your Gators breakdown episodes, newsforjacks.com slash Gators breakdown, uh, some Gator related articles there too. Uh, as well, as I mentioned, you can find Will's uh, articles at readandreaction.com. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. I'm your host here on Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at Gator Dave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.